Hello, welcome to our broadcast today here at Faith Builder. My name is Scott Phillips, and it is our desire that you would be blessed by what we share today. Over the next few months, uh, we'll share things I have seen and been pondering about the Word of God, as well as uh, guests, friends, and people that uh, come across my path and I enjoy talking to about the Word of God. So sit back, enjoy it, and if this podcast blesses you, I encourage you to uh, subscribe, to give us a good rating, and to share it with your friends. God bless you. We pray that your faith is built today on Faith Builder. So, Brother Bodie, why don't you share with us and explain to us the seven dimensions? It really deals with growing in maturity, spiritual maturity. And, uh, but it's a way also of, of understanding the, the ways of this world, the ways of this life, and where we want to go spiritually as um, as we grow in the things of God. So when I, when I began to study it, I began to notice that there were three dimensions dealing with earthly things, three dimensions dealing with spiritual things. And then the more I got into it, I realized that there was at least three dimensions of, of demonic things, deep, dark things. And so we're really dealing with more than seven dimensions. That's nine by itself. But then there is that ultimate goal and that that top dimension of of uh, what would have been called the seventh dimension, or the tenth dimension, or whatever we want to refer to it as, but um, so I I began to study this and realize the first dimension of mankind, the first dimension of humanity, has to deal with our base self nature, and that that is often typified by just a geometric pattern uh, of dimensional things of being a single line. And then it, that is the dimension of self, self-preservation, self-love, uh, self-interest, self-worth, self-everything that you want from me. It's all about me, which is a very narrow life, very, very narrow, narrow focus. And so that level is all about pleasure for one's own self. And, uh, and unfortunately, there is a vast number of people, especially poverty people, that are trapped into this lowest base level of life. The scripture refers to base persons, and this is what it's referring to. And uh, they're, they're a band of very animalistic nature, which is all about me. And beyond that, we know that there's so much more than that because selfishness destroys relationships. Selfishness destroys all of that because it doesn't care about anything but itself. So when you grow beyond this, the, the first 
dimension. You go into the second dimension, which begins to deal with relationships. In a, in a geometrical concept, a second dimension is at right angles of the first dimension. The first dimension having length, the second dimension starting having depth. And so you begin to grow beyond that. And you start having uh, relationships. You realize man was not intended to be alone. Uh, God saw man. It wasn't good for him to be alone. So he created woman for man. And out of man came that, out of his ribs, out of his side came uh, his companion. And God meant for us to have family. God meant for us to have companionship. And so we go into the second dimension, which is relationships. And we find there's a great number of satisfaction. But anytime you grow into relationships, one of the first things they tell us about marriage is that it is a... Um, it's a long series of compromises as you begin to realize my companion needs this, so I have to give up this. Or you understand the fact that um, that you might want to do something, but they want to do something. And so you begin to give up some of your liberties, some of your desires to help please in the other because you're in relationship. And so that moves into the second dimension of those things. And so that's where you have uh, relationships in that second dimension. You move beyond that, you get into the third dimension, which I like to call personal development. And that's when you begin to grow beyond just those first two and you start developing into that third dimension which takes on not only length not only depth but also grows in height and so when you have a three-dimensional object it goes beyond a line drawing goes beyond anything like that and it begins to take on shape it becomes tangible because it has three dimensions to it and of course anybody that knows much about geometry anything like that understands when you get into the third dimension it's it's physical it's something that that has all three of those aspects to it and so um, what you do in the third dimension of of natural life is you begin to grow intellectually you begin to grow in ways of of understanding this is this is where i learn that my selfish ways have consequences and i've got to develop beyond those consequences i've got to start working in in uh, in on myself so that i communicate better the more i do for others the more i receive for myself and so i begin to develop these things uh, i work on my personality i work on my education so that that i can have a better paying job um, all of these these things that are driven by uh, life success and things like that get into the third dimension now one of the things that are interesting about these first three dimensions is we, we talked about the first dimension being self, the second dimension being relationships. Well, you can be the other way around where you have the first dimension of self and then you jump straight to the third dimension of personal development. But you still are so selfish that you don't develop relationships. And so you still are a two dimensional person. And in and, and the fact that you might be very intelligent, but you use people, you step on top of people, you take advantage of that law when you live in the base 
uh, dimensions of this world. You have to have a law to constrain you and force you into doing things that you naturally don't want to do. But when you begin to move up in the life of the spirit and you begin to understand principles, you understand if I do this, I get this result. And them for your own will and your own. And uh, I think professors that that may have illicit relationships with their students. They're, they're abusing that relationship that they have for their own pleasure. And so they're, they're two dimensional people. They're not, uh, they're not even growing to the fullness of that third dimension. But when you get a person in this natural life that develops into those first three dimensions, you have a very successful individual. Now, one of the things that I like to look at is this, these are the things of this world. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, he wrote to them in verse 1, he called them little children. He said, I write unto you. Now the term there, little children, is actually a term of endearment, of affection. It has nothing to do with an age bracket more than it does the fact that he is giving them his love and his affection. But you go on down into the chapter and you begin to see he writes to three groups of people. He writes to little children. He writes to young men. And then he writes to old men. Now, when he refers to little children later on in the chapter, it is not a term of endearment. It is an entirely different Hebrew word, which is referring to age uh, specific people. So when he says it there, he's talking about our, our youth. When he talks about young men, he's talking about basically the people in that middle stage of their life. And then when he talks about old men, he's referring to those who are of age and uh, and should have the knowledge of life and things like that uh, behind them. But he, he goes on after admonishing them, talking about you have known the father, you have, you know, you have overcome uh, and things like that. He tells them in Second John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father is not. And so we want to make sure that we don't have uh, the love of the world in us. In other words, we cannot have such a passion for this life that we cannot see what God is trying to do in the kingdom of God. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And so we can't fall in love with this world. We have got to become citizens of the world to come and, uh, and the kingdom of God. So when he writes to them about those things, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Then he goes on in the next verse and he literally begins to tell us what the world is. He describes it in three aspects. Number one, he says the, the love of the world is, first of all, the lust of the flesh. Second of all, it is the lust of the eyes. Third of all, it is the pride of life. And when I begin to see this, it dawned on me. The, the temptation of youth is the flesh. It's, it's all about me as a child. We're, we're, we're very selfish individuals. Uh, we want everything done our way and we don't get it done our way. And we pout and we do all of those kind of things. We get a little older 
and our bodies start going through a chemical reaction and, and change, and, and we suddenly start recognizing members of the opposite uh, sex, and we get interested in that. We think it's love, when in reality it's nothing more than the drawing of of nature that is pushing us towards ma- uh, uh, mating and, and, and physical prepar- uh, perpetration of the species. But, but in, in that youthful stage, um, so much of it is consumed with flesh, how we look, how well we play ball. Uh, do, we, do we have all of the attributes of physical perfection? And, and so there's so much m- uh, out there in the marketplace that is so geared to nothing more than youthful looks, youthful acts, youthful things, when that is that is such a base level of life, so, so base, because there's so much more to life than just our days of youth. And then you move into that second uh, thing that he mentioned is the the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is not just what you see; it's what you're seeing that you want. It's this desire to to get things and to collect things. It's materialism, and so when you move into that dimension, you begin to notice. Um, I don't have that. I want that. It's this gathering in of things. And unfortunately, it's very, very seductive. It can be so easily uh, overcome our walk with God as we realize, well, I know it's church, but I've got an opportunity to make double pay today. So uh, I'm going to work extra. God understands. I'll just call pastor and miss church today. And and that becomes eventually such a subtle trap that you fall into it because you're trying to get a bigger car, a nicer car, a bigger house, uh, more toys, more adult toys, more things to enjoy yourself with. And you don't realize you're very, very selfish in doing those things. It's It's that lust of the eyes. I want, I want. And, uh, and so that is, that is literally going into that second dimension. And then when the last thing that he mentioned was the pride of life. And I, I realized all three of these things deal with different age groups. Young couples, young growing families can get so mired up in, in materialism, so caught up in, in their life of successes and, and, and things like that. When, when the will of God sometimes has nothing to do with how much finances you have, uh, accomplishing God's desires has, has nothing to do. God can bless us. God can give it to us, but it cannot be a goal in its own right. God will do it. But then that the old people, the old men, um, one of the th- biggest temptations that they have is the pride of life. It's when they begin to look back upon their years that they have had, and they begin to want nothing to mar their reputation, nothing to take away from all the things that they have achieved. And it is a pride is a very powerful, powerful, seductive tool of the enemy. Uh, We see this in the three temptations, even so back as in the Garden of Eden, when you see the tree that 
Satan showed unto Eve, the tree that they were told not to eat of, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when the enemy took their attention, her attention to the tree, the first thing she did was she saw that it was good for food. Second, it was pleasant to look upon. And third, it would make one wise. And so you see the three temptations right there. You see the three levels of the world right there. You see all of that wrapped up in one illustration in creation. Of course, Genesis being uh, the book of beginnings, the book where we establish all of our doctrine and all of those things were right there in the beauty of the creation story and the stories that followed it is is all those primary doctrines are laid out right there. So those are the things of this world. Unfortunately, when you get somebody that is successful in all three of those dimensions. They they've got a proper sense of of themselves. They have they have a family and and all of that seems like it's a, a good life and and they have a decent education, great job, uh, financial preparation of the f- for the future. They become very difficult to reach. But the sad point is is they're denying the fact that they are more than a body. A physical body. Humanism tells us that that's all we are, is a body, just an animal, and we're going to die. But the reality is we're not a body. We are a soul that, that, that dwells within a body. We are more spirit and soul than we are body. The soul lives on forever. This body is just temporary and is here for a period of time. It is a vehicle uh, to, to take us into uh, heaven and and our, our destiny forever. And so how we deal with this now is so crucial to what's going to go on forever. Once you begin to awaken into the, into the spiritual things, and you cannot get there except the Spirit draw you, unless the Lord beckons you, you cannot enter into those things because you will not be awake to those things. And so once, once God begins to draw you and you begin to understand that there is so much more to life than just just this physical realm and and all of those things. Uh, you step into the dimension of faith. Faith is that which is not seen. Scripture lets us know that um, it's it's not seen. Uh, it's but yet it's so imperative that we grab a hold of it and hold on to it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The fourth dimension is a dimension of energy. We understand it in the natural, uh, in the fact that even though there's dynamics in, in life that are not visible, yet they are there. Energy ex- exists in the, the atmosphere, in, the, in this world that we live in. It exists all, all the time, all around us. That energy is there. That's the reason we can hear things. That's the reason we can see things is because of the, the light rays. And, and so we are so dependent upon invisible things. Uh, when you go back to go back to school or go back remembering the lessons that they taught us back in, in junior high, they taught us matters of, of basic physics that, that you have every thing that is out there, every, um, um, materialistic thing, everything that is made out of material, um, uh, is, is actually made out of 
atoms. And out of those atoms, those atoms are in constant motion, some faster than others, some slower than others. The slower they are, the more solid they, they are. Uh, the faster they move, the more they move into the liquid and into the gases. But, but they are in motion. And, uh, and so the whole world is full of activity and it's full of energy. It's just we have to take it by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, you are just living a base life that does not comprehend and understand that there's so much more to life than just the physical things that we look at. When you begin to become a, a convert to the things of faith, God will open up your eyes and you'll begin to understand that there is power in the spiritual life, power in prayer, miracles that can happen. God is a God of power. When he gave the Holy Ghost, he said, I'm going to give you power. And that word power literally translate, it comes from a word that, that means dunamis or dynamite power, explosive power, energy that is given to a child of God. When you break into the fourth dimensions, here's a real quick summary, and then we'll start breaking them down into that. The fourth dimension, we, we go to, um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and go down to verse 13, where it talks about now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, and then it says the greatest of these is charity. But the next three dimensions is literally going to be faith, then it's going to be hope, and then it's going to be charity. When you get into the fourth dimension, this is where you begin to understand, I need to repent of my selfishness. I need to repent of my, of my base nature. I, God, I'm sorry that I've lived a life ignoring you. I'm sorry I've lived a life that, that has disdained you, but I, I need you. I see that now. I need you. What do I need to do? This is the question that was asked by uh, the people in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost when they said, men and brothers, and what do we do? Uh, what shall we do? And Peter began to preach to them and tell them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He summarized right there the new birth experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so we move into an awareness of scriptures, an awareness of our need for God, and all of that takes faith to do that. We have to take it by faith that God is real. We have to take it by faith. Does he prove himself? Of course he proves himself. We can't see the wind, but we know the wind exists because we can feel the wind. One of the beautiful aspects of God is he is not just a, an intellectual God, but he is a God that moves the soul and you can feel God and God will confirm himself by signs following and he has done it so many times in so many ways. He has confirmed himself to us in, in ways like that. And, and oh, the delights and the depths of the things of God. When you begin to walk with him, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that it becomes a teacher to us. We are, we are led and guided by the Spirit of God. Uh, and so the more we know about faith, the more we enjoy the realms of 
prayer, uh, the realm of praise and the realm of worship, spiritual dynamics that are there, the joy, oh, the joy that can come in a walk of faith, the beauty. If you have never been in a service that just moves you, moves you to tears, moves you to joy, moves you to ecstatic joy in the spirit of God, uh, where you just, just, you lose yourself in the things of God, um, Joel, Joel prophesied and, 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 and said things about what was going to happen. And then in the book of Acts, the Bible said it, when he looked, they looked upon him in Acts chapter two, they thought they were drunk. And uh, Peter said, no, they're not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which Joel prophesied about. What was literally going on there was they were so overjoyed with the things of God. They were so carried away with the things of God, the power of God, the revelation of the dynamics of the things of God became an opportunity to them that they enjoyed. Now, here's my caution. And here's one thing that I would plead with you to be cautious and careful of is many people throughout uh, civilization have had spiritual epiphanies. They have moments where they have gone up into the fourth dimension only to go back and to live and to dwell in the first three earthly dimensions. But God doesn't want us to just visit there once in a while. He wants us to live in the spirit. He wants us to dwell in those things. He wants to sit for us to sit in heavenly places. And, uh, and we have, we have the right to do that. We have a right to live that way all the time. Um, it's not us asking God to God walk with us. It's us asking God, God, let me walk with you. And so, um, it, it's not, God is not an add on. He is everything that we are about and we've got to be consumed with him and fall in love with him in that way and not just visit the relationship once a week or, or once a month or wherever once in a while, but it's got to consume us. It's a live, a life of, faith in that. And you see miracles transpire in this life of faith. And so it's an exciting thing, the power and the energy that is there. But even that in itself, that is only the lowest dimension of the spirit. And many, many people, many, many churches enjoy Spirit-filled life, spirit-led life, very, very spiritual churches. But there is more to it than just that side of, of living for God. There is greater things. He, he went from faith to hope. And once you break in the dimension of hope, you begin to understand that the power of the fourth dimension can be expected can be anticipated, can be hoped for when certain things are done. What you do in the fifth dimension is hope is not here used in a, in a concept of, of, boy, I hope the ice cream truck comes by today. I, I hope that uh, I get a raise on my job. But hope is literally biblically translated an earnest expectation. It is something I have the right to expect. Uh, 
And so the reason hope is there is because you have done certain things and you have the right to expect a result that comes from that. It is understanding cause and effect. It is understanding the beauty of consequences and not just the sad side of consequences. Sin brings the sad side of consequences. But when you live a life of purpose and you live a life of of principle, you find out that consequences can come in a beneficial way. So when you get into the fifth dimension, you get into cycles, seasons, and principles. When you break into those things and you begin to understand cyclic things happen in a certain pattern and a certain way that I can anticipate this is going to come about because it flows in this particular pattern. You begin to understand a lot of things. We understand seasons. We seasons come. Uh, they may they may fluctuate a little bit, but they're going to come. Winter is going to be followed by spring and, and spring by summer and summer is going to come by fall and, 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 and eventually winter is going to roll back around again. And these cycles are there. You have cycles all the way through life. You have cycles that govern the waves in the ocean. You have cycles that affect our, our physical bodies in many ways. And so cycles are so powerful when you begin to understand them. Cycles happen within churches. Cycles happen within your life. And there's so many concepts and things that, that we could learn about cycles. And then again, seasons, same thing. But principles, principles are things that are concrete absolutes that if you do them, you have the right to expect a result that takes place. This is fifth dimensional living. When you get into the dimension of, of, of purpose like this, when you get into the dimension of, of, um, of principles like this, you begin to do things that create the motion, the energy in the fourth dimension. It doesn't just happen happenstance. You just don't stumble upon it and see it take place, but you can literally operate in a way that makes those things happen. And this is, this is the joy of living a principled life. The Word of God is there to help us to learn to live a principled life. And uh, we spoke the other day about about matters of law, when you live in the base uh, dimensions of this world, you have to have a law to constrain you and force you into doing things that you naturally don't want to do. But when you begin to move up in the life of the spirit and you begin to understand principles, you understand if I do this, I get this result. And, and so you do things because you want to produce certain things and the joy and the expectation that comes from it. You're no longer affected so much by the negative consequences of the law, because that is so far away from where your desires and your heart is. You want to please the things of God and you want to learn the things of God. The Old Testament law was given there. The Bible literally tells us the law was given for the lawless and they had to have something to constrain them 
to uh, keep those things and to make them form them into a certain pattern. But once you get into the law of Christ, you get into a relationship with God where you're no longer bound by those things, but you do it because you desire to do it. You do it because you want to do it. You know, because there are benefits that come, such as the law of sowing and reaping. You plant, you're going to reap. And we know that in the natural. If you plant corn, you're not going to get green beans. If you plant uh, squash, you're not going to, you're not going to get a bunch of thistles in its place. You're not going to grow an artichoke in its place, but you are going to get what you have planted. And so we begin to understand the laws of the spirit are much like that. We get those things which we have uh, planted. When we look at the Old Testament law and we see things that, that are required out of us, demanded out of us, now we're living in the sight of the Spirit where we see the principles behind those things. And we do it now not because we are forced into it, but we do it because we want the results that come along with doing things in a principled manner. And this is, this is the reason we look back into the Old Testament as our schoolmaster. We're not keepers of the law, the old Mosaic law, but we are keepers of it in the fact that we have we have lived in the fulfilled law and we are living in principle side of those things and the joy that comes along with it, not the negative consequences, not the judgment that comes if we, if we break the law, but the promises that come because we have fulfilled the law. So when you begin to look at the four, fifth dimension, it is, it is what forces the action in the fourth dimension. The activity, if I take a stone, which is hard, and, uh, and, and so I throw that stone into a lake, I'm going to create ripples on that lake. So something that is stationary, well, not stationary if I throw it, but something that is hard is going to create motion. And so it is with the dimension of hope. When I do something that is concrete, when I do something that is absolute, I am going to produce the actions of the fourth dimension. When I give uh, my tithing and offering. Now, this predates the Mosaic law. It goes all the way back to the days of Abraham and Isaac. And when I do those things, I unleash spiritual principles that bring blessings to me. When I understand that I give back to God or give to God that portion that he has entrusted me with, that I would return to him. And when I do that, I have freed God to bless me so much more than I would have ever had if I tried to retain the entire amount. You say, well, that doesn't work mathematically. That's because the laws of the flesh do not comprehend the laws of the spirit. But when you understand spiritual principles, spiritual concepts, you have literally opened up the potential of faith. So hope produces faith. You would think it was the other way around, but it's not. Hope is the thing that generates faith. And so when you get into that level of fifth dimension, and you operate in faith, it, it operate it like you should. It is a very powerful, powerful thing. I've often said, if I as a pastor can get my church to live 
at least on a fifth dimension, then we are going to have a very powerful, powerful church. Uh, but there's more than that. There's more than just living, learning, and loving the 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 purposes of God, the cause and effect of God, the miracles and everything that God has in store for us in the life of the Spirit. But there is that sixth dimension. When you begin to put the puzzle together and you begin to understand why God is doing what he is doing, this is when you get into the dimension of charity. Now abide of faith, hope, and charity. The sixth dimension being that of charity. Of course, we use the word charity because it's out of the, the language of the King James. But in reality, um, in our language, it translates into love, but not just any kind of love because there, there is so many ways that you can define love. You can define love as, as that feeling you have for uh, a, a, your, your mate, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever. And so there's that. But in reality, that is, that is a physical attraction that is given to you. We call that Eros love. And then there is also that brotherly love, like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, uh, that filio love, which is a love between brethren. And, and it's that warm affection that we have for one another. But God's love is, is an agape love, and it's a higher sense of love than all of the rest of them because it is a sacrificial love. It is a love that will give itself. When you give charity, it's because you're giving something away, and usually the concept really means a sacrifice, not just a, a convenient, I've got an extra $100, but it means sacrificing for somebody. It means giving because you know they need that. And even though it costs you, you give it anyway. That's the real concept of charity. And so when you go into the sixth dimension, you go into the concept of destiny. What is my purpose? What is my reason for existing? God made me for a purpose and a reason. I, I'm not just here to abide uh, my 70 whatever years and then, then, then it's over with. I'm not here just to fill time and space, but I am here literally because God created me for a reason. What is that reason? Most people never find that sixth dimension of living. Most people never go in and explore that that sixth dimension. Um, we we're we're shown it many times. We're shown a pattern of it in motherhood, but unfortunately, in the world we're living in today, not only is there the abandonment of of children by absentee fathers and divorced families, but there is the the unnatural. Uh, throwing away of babies every day through abortion. And so we have a perverted sense of even motherhood anymore, parenthood, but it should not be. We should have a glimpse of, of an understanding of what real godly charity should be patterned after through that of, of motherhood and, and parenthood. But, but so many times this world is so selfish, they don't even have the normal heart desire for those things. Morality means so little, the laws of life, the meaning of life. But in the sixth dimension, you get into understanding God created me for 
a purpose. What is my purpose in life? What is my call in life? Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times we in the Christian world have, have come to think of a calling as a ministerial pulpit uh, or desire, desire to, to work within the church ranks of leadership. When tr- in reality, a calling is not so specific as that. We need people that understand what they're called for. And sometimes that means you're called to do a specific work and to provide certain things to give in certain ways. We need people who are gifted in in raising or, or earning funds that can give so that the kingdom of God can be financed and accomplished. We need people that are gifted like that. We need gifted Sunday school teachers. We need gifted bus ministry people. We need gifted soul winners, Bible study teachers. It's not just the pulpit that you're called to, but when you get a hold of a call of God, This is the beauty of it. Many people will not understand. They will not comprehend why you are willing to give up what you're doing for the purpose of throwing it away in their eyes. But it's not throwing it away. It is accomplishing what God wants you to do. The greatest joy you will ever have is when you give your life away. You'll never know the joy that God wants you to have until you start giving your life away. And uh, and so it is in the sixth dimension when God deals with you about what he wants you to do. For me, it was uh, on the hill of a, of a misty, uh, evening in California when I was 15 years old. We had moved out there. My heart's desire, thought, was I was going to go into uh, medical practice, let the Navy train me, become a medical doctor, and eventually uh, open up my own practice from there and, and, and live through the means of, of, of uh, the medical world. I felt like I had the aspects, the ability to do that, and still believe today I could have done a great job doing it. Because a lot of times gifted people, called people, can do many things if you follow a lesser um, path to success and life in the flesh rather than the things of the Spirit. But I was walking on that hillside, and the mist from the coast had begun to roll across the hill, and, and I still vividly remember it. And the Lord began to deal with me. And he said those same words that, that Jesus said to Peter that day out on the lakeside when he looked at Peter and said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter responded, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love you. And then the two subsequent times that, that Jesus asked him and Peter's response until that third time, it was almost an exasperation. You know that I love you. It wasn't until years later that I learned the nuances of the Greek language behind that. But at that moment on that hillside, when he said, lovest thou me more than these? And I responded, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love you. And his response was, feed my 
lambs. I knew beyond a call, a shadow of doubt that God had called me into the ministry and um, all desire for other things left. From that time on, my, my entire agenda, even in high school, taking speech classes, then into Bible college, um, working on developing um, my ministry. So by the time I was 21 years old, I had graduated from Bible college and stepped out into uh, full-time ministry as an evangelist, suffered for a lot of years. But when you have a call and you have a passion, it does not matter what you have to do in order to see that passion fulfilled. The call of God will will cause you to sacrifice. The call of God will cause you to, to um, let other th- agendas go by. Uh, finances won't matter as much, as much as doing the will of God. So, so that sixth dimension is a dimension of destinies. When I think of destinies, I think of Elisha as he is following Elijah. And um, the sons of the prophets are spiritual enough to know the problem. They know that the prophet is going to be taken from their midst that day. And they ask Elisha, don't you understand? He's going to be taken from us. Let him go. Let him go into the hills and die. And, and Elisha lets them know, yeah, I know that he's going to. Elisha's as spiritual as they are. They both know that Elijah's going to be taken. And uh, so they're aware of that in the spirit. Then Elijah eventually asks him, he bids him to, to stay. Don't, don't follow me anymore. Go. And, and Elijah is like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay with you until Elijah finally stops and says, what do you want? And he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, if you see me when I go, if you follow me all the way, if you fulfill your calling to me as a servant, as a second man, then what you have hungered for and desired is going to come to you. And so the others were spiritual, but not spiritual enough to know the solution to the problem. They saw the problem, but they could not see the solution of the problem. That is six-dimensional thinking. Six-dimensional thinking is more than the activity of the spirit of being aware of something, but it's that which you know that if I do this, God is going to accomplish these things as a result of it. The only way for him to fulfill his destiny was to was to go beyond what other people were willing to do. And I see this in the in the life of Jesus. Jesus forsake Conventionality. He forsook uh, the the societal things of pressures of racism and or or um, prejudice that that was so common in his day. It's common in every society. Uh, we haven't gotten away from it yet. But in Jesus's day, there was the group of the Samaritans, were which were a half breed uh, Israelite and mingled in with other other nations, and they had a a religious doctrine that was partially. Judaism and, and partially idolatry that had been picked up from other places. And, and so there was much, much 
bitterness between the Samaritans and the Jews. And Jesus knows this, but you've got, you've got the land around Jerusalem as known as Israel, and then you've got Samarita, Samaria up above that. And even up above that is you have the region that is called Galilee. Jesus grew up in Galilee, where he fished with with uh, James and John, was up there on the Sea of Galilee. Much much of his ministry was done up in that area of Galilee. But at one point, he is going to Jerusalem, and and so in the process of doing that. Instead of bypassing and taking the long journey around to avoid the Samaritans, he goes right to a Samaritan city. And, and he, he's, that's just the way he operates. And, and they, they, they try to dissuade him, but no, he knows his destiny. When it came time for his uh, crucifixion, he said, I must needs go to Jerusalem. And the disciples tried to dissuade him, tried to get him to look off in another way. We can't do that. Don't you know that we're going to die? And of course, Thomas finally gave up and said, let's go and die with him. And, and because they're saying, Jesus, you don't have to do this. We can avoid this if we just preserve ourselves. But his purpose was not to preserve himself. His purpose was to give himself. And so in six dimensional living, the only way for the purpose of God to be completed was for him to go to Jerusalem and embrace the pain, the suffering that was going to happen for the sake of our salvation. He did it for us. Paul later when Paul is, is now uh, converted from, from what he was as Saul, the one that persecuted the Jews, to now he is Paul the apostle. Paul lived a life that was harsh and a life of suffering to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He risked his life. And of course, he writes in the, in the epistles of all of the things that he suffered with in order to preach the gospel. But one of the things there at the end of his life was a man by the name of Agabus walks into a room where they're having service, having church, and this prophet walks in and he has a garment that is usually called a a girdle or a waistcoat. And he has got that bound around his arms as if he is tied up. And he responds to them and tells them the man who owns this girdle is going to be taken and bound if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, well, it's mine. And what you've got to understand is I know it may, I may be bound, but that is the only way I'm going to be taken to Rome. And Rome is my destiny. Rome is what I've got to do uh, to fulfill the call of God in my life. So he, instead of being the Agabus, a prophet, was spiritual enough to know the problem, but he wasn't spiritual enough to know the solution to the problem. So, so Paul sees the solution. He goes to Jerusalem. He is bound. He could have actually said, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this, but he doesn't. He appeals to Caesar, and he is taken on that arduous journey uh, on the ship as he makes his way to Rome and is imprisoned in Rome, all because he knows his destiny.
and he refuses comfort. He refuses an easier path in order to fulfill the destiny that is in his life. People that are live a life in the sixth dimension, in that greatest dimension of charity, they are people who do not care if they have to have uh, discomfort in their life, pain, agony, poverty, or anything else, as long as it does what God wants them to do. One soul is worth more than all of the wealth of this world. And so is six-dimensional living. It is a living beyond selfishness. It is a living that is doing it because you know this is what God called you to do. It is only when that nature is complete in your life and you are so wrapped up in doing the will of God that God can bring you into that last and that seventh dimension, which is a dimension of perfect unity with God. And I'm not referring here to the time that we uh, leave this earthly body and we, we're joined with him in heaven. I'm referring to the place where our will is so completely wrapped up in his will that we become literally one with God. Jesus said, if ye abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be given you. That is the promises that come into the seventh and the ultimate last dimension of the spirit. And, and so many people have taken words like that and they have tried to migrate them down into the fourth dimensional energy and promises and the, the miracles that can happen there. And they abuse it because in reality, they're not asking for God to do something to accomplish his will. They're asking for things that bring pleasure, comfort to them. They're still living so close to the dimension of self, the dimension of the world, that they're looking for things so that they can make their own lives more pleasurable, more enjoyable. And, um, and, and, and that is so false, so contrary to the concept that Jesus was trying to teach. Uh, James said, you have not because you ask not. And so many times when you do ask, you ask amiss so that you can heap things upon your own lust. Don't expect God to fulfill those things. And it's not a failure of faith. It's not a failure of God. When he says no to something that you have ask in agreement praying if you're asking it purely for your own pleasure and your own self god's not that's that's a misappropriation of those verses when you get into true seventh dimensional living you have crucified the self. You have lived beyond that. You know the purpose and the will of God. Your life is so tied up completely with the things of God that it is his desire that you're trying to fulfill every day of your life. Then when you need something to complete the will of God, when there is something that you have to have to do the job that God has bid you to do. You just tell him, God, I need this. And God provides it. 
God gives it to you so that you can do the work. If, if I was working under Pastor Phillips and he told me to go to the store and to get something and, and, and do a job, he's not expecting me to come up with those resources on my own. He will provide me the means to get that done. He will, he will make sure that I have the resources enough to get the job done. So it is in the things of the spirit. If God has got us to do a work, he's not going to leave us without the resources to get the work done. And that's where you can ask what you will, and he will give it unto you. The joy of getting into that place. We talk about agreement, praying, but it's the fact where two or three agree as touching any one thing. Uh, I will do it. When, when there's two or three gathered together, I am there in their midst. Those things are developed in the seventh dimension concept. When you get into that level, of oneness with him, the power that is there, the, the things that are accomplished, accomplished in the spirit is because you are literally doing everything you can to fulfill the purpose and the will of God. Everything comes into focus in that seventh dimension. Everything comes to a completeness in that seventh dimension. And the seventh dimension is the most powerful dimension that you could dwell in. The revelations. Paul said at one time, he said, I knew a man one time about 14 years ago, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I know not. But he said, that man was taken up into the third heaven. I believe there are places that God wants to take us that if we shared those things, people could not comprehend it, would not understand it. They will not understand the price that you're willing to pay, the sacrifice that you're willing to give in order to see those things accomplished in the will of God. But I'm telling you, even though you cannot communicate it, when you sell out my will to do his will, oh, the joys that God has in store for us. Uh, he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Don't sell your life out. Don't settle for low living. Don't settle for pettiness of this world. Don't settle for just a once in a while blessing and a touch of the Holy Ghost, but seek out the will of God for your life that you might be able to give it away to him. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. It's been a joy to share a synopsis, just a synopsis of these seven dimensions. Faith Builder. Faith is the building block upon which everything else in our life grows. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Awesome. He is the only way, truth, and life. It is in Jesus, our faith in Jesus, where everything flows. We have an opportunity to add to our faith, build upon our most holy faith, and grow in faith. 
that is my goal, to grow in faith. Thank you for tuning in to Faith Builder today. If you are blessed, subscribe to the podcast, share it with others, and consider rating our podcast. This will help us reach further than we could by ourselves. Your help in this is deeply appreciated. Faith Builder. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God.